About a week and a half ago, there was an event that took place. Some were looking forward to it with great fervor. Others were just kind of looking forward to it to just kind of observe what was going on. But the fact is that everyone knew it was coming. Everyone knew that it was going to happen. See, a week and a half ago, after the Super Bowl of the Sunday before, on a Thursday, the entire city of, of Philadelphia basically shut down and the parade happened. Some of you remember, it looked a little bit like this. Your Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles! Some of you are saying, I knew he'd get that song in somehow. But as you were watching that, you may not be aware of the view that a sociologist would have of that event. Sociologists would see it kind of differently than what you and I would see it. We would see it just as a celebration, and that's correct. But as a sociologist, you would look at that and begin to see a social norm, an expectation You would understand that in the United States, with the place that sports plays in our culture, that it would be absolutely expected that that event would take place. And in fact, if you really think about it, you cannot imagine a Super Bowl winning team returning to their city and not receiving something like that. Heck, even in Cleveland, they celebrated a you know, zero and 16 season, they were willing to do some kind of parade. But we know that that's going to happen. We, we just expect it. We realize it. And if it didn't happen, we'd be saying, wow, what's wrong with Philadelphia? There were certain aspects of it that you expect. You expect the parade and the, the, the buses with the open tops, or if you're in New Orleans, it was uh, Mardi Gras floats, and some way to see the team and the players and the coaches, and, and they would be standing and they would be waving and the crowd would be responding back. You would expect someone on the float to hold up the Lombardi trophy. You would expect the cheering crowds and the celebration and a gathering somewhere within the city in which there would be the presentation of the players and the presentation of the coach and the presentation of the trophy. And you expect all of that to take place. And you may not even be aware of it. But I'll guarantee you if it didn't happen, you would be saying something's wrong be saying, what's wrong with those people? 
because that's just part of our social makeup. It's what we expect. Sometimes when we read the scripture, we have a disadvantage. And the disadvantage is that we're living 2,000 years after it was written, sometimes more, sometimes as many as 4,000 years. And so there may be things within the culture, there may be activities within the culture, there may be assumptions within the culture that we miss. And so as a result, yes, we can understand the scripture, but the, the full impact of it may be a little more difficult unless we take the time to do the study. When we come to this passage in Luke, there is an aspect of the society and the culture that is so absolutely important to understand just how terrible, and yes, I said terrible, the events of what we normally call the triumphal entry, how much of an insult they really were. See, Jesus didn't respond to the triumphal entry in a fist pump or a mic drop or whatever. Do you know how Jesus responded to it? He wept. He cried. He mourned. And as you're reading through the passage, you see the disciples crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And you see the... the um, coats being laid out and the other gospel writers talk about the palm branches being brought in and you see all that and somehow you expect a celebration in Jesus but yet something terrible is missing and his response is to weep and when you understand that you understand the challenge of what Luke is doing here the challenge that he's putting before us. The challenge that affects our daily life. The challenge that Chris talked about this morning in worship and so many of the choruses proclaimed. Challenge. The people of Jerusalem failed terribly. Now, as you're working your way, and if you have your Bibles, turn to that passage in Luke chapter 19. And we're working our way through. We're talking and calling this sort of a, a journey with Jesus from Jerusalem to Olivet, from, from the coming in of Jesus into uh, this city, this, this center of the religious and political life of the nation of Israel, all the way to the point of his ascension from the Mount of Olives. And we're going to work through that as we work through this whole season of Lent. Last week, we looked at how Luke introduces us to this section through the use of a parable. And the parable is about one who is to be made king and goes on a journey. And Luke is talking about Jesus and the journey that he makes through death to the resurrection, to the ascension, where he is proclaimed king. And how his followers, while they await for the king to return and establish the fullness of his kingdom, need to be faithful. 
But in the midst of it are those that say, we don't want him to be king. And now, Luke, as he's organizing his gospel, takes that parable that Jesus spoke of and hooks it up with the historical events that live it out. If you had opportunity, I hope you did, and it's, it's online to hear Robin's class on, on the authority of Scripture when he talked about the Gospels. And he talked about how each of the writers had a different perspective. They weren't trying to write a chronology of Jesus' life, but they were writing about the historical events of Jesus' life, but in a way that gives forth a certain theme. And so they would put the, the teaching and the, the, the events in, a, in an order. They would, they would focus on thir- certain things and not focus on other things simply to give us the, 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 the focus, the thought that they wanted to drive home. And Luke is driving home to us, this is the king. With the question, how are you going to respond? And so as we come to Luke chapter 19 and we begin that section dealing with what's often called the the triumphal entry, we come to understand that we need to make a choice. We need to respond to this one who is Lord and decide how that's going to impact our lives. And what we're going to do with that truth. Now as you work your way through Luke, one of the things that becomes clear, we, we've mentioned this kind of a couple of different times, is that Luke wants us to understand that the one who came is clearly the Messiah, is clearly the Lord, is clearly the King. This is the King of the Jews. So it became a source of mockery, scorn, in contempt for many. Luke says, that's the truth. And as Luke is developing this section, as he's developing this journey of Jesus from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and he's taking this journey with with his disciples and the events that are taking place and the teaching that is taking place, over and over again, Luke wants us to understand, this is the king, a king with a new way. A king with a new way of of bringing about his kingdom and a new way for his followers, his subjects to live different than that of the old covenant. But he is king. And as Luke ends that section, in the section, the verses we're reading and looking at this morning, the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? And as you work your way through over and over again, you see that declaration. You see that Jesus accepts the title of son of David in in Luke chapter 18, where when he comes into Jericho and the blind man comes up to him, and and some of the other gospels say there's more than one, but for Luke, he's emphasizing one because this one says something, says something that is so important. When he cries out and he says, who's coming? And they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to cry out, Son of David! Son of David! 
that doesn't strike us very much. But those that were around him basically looked at him and said, shut up. How can you call him the son of David? That was a messianic term. That was declaring this is the one that is anointed. This is the one we expect. This is the one that is coming. This is the one that's coming to establish the kingdom. And for the first time in his ministry, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus didn't say, shh. Instead, he heals him and demonstrates his acceptance of that title. You see it in the fact that Jesus is the subject of the previous parable where the one who would make a journey to be king this is the king. You see it, and we don't have time to really develop it, but in the beginning of this passage, in the beginning of talking about the triumphal entry, you'll, you'll remember that, that Jesus says to his disciples, listen, just go down to the village, and you'll find there a, a, a colt that's never been ridden, and I want you to untie it and bring it back and say to the owner, you know, the, the, the master, the Lord has need of it. And what Luke is saying, and there's discussion of whether or not this was supernatural or whether this was planned ahead of time. We don't know. I tend to think it was, it was, it was, uh, it was prophetic. It was, it was supernatural. He understood the events beforehand. But if not, the focus of it all is found in Luke chapter 19 and verse 32 when Luke says, here's the point. It says, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as the Lord had told them. It worked out exactly like Jesus said. He's sovereign. These aren't overtaking him. These events aren't crushing him. Rather, they're as he planned them. As the sovereign Lord knew that they would take place. passage is filled with images of a king. Again, we don't get them because we're Western and that's okay, but if you lived in the Middle East at this time, there were some things that are going on here that you'd be going, oh, that's the king. He rides in on a never-ridden colt. Now, first of all, I've never broken a horse or a donkey, or, but that's kind of rough to do. But the other thing about it is as they saw that taking place in that time, in that place, in, in the, the Jewish mind, they would have said, ah, Solomon, who was declared king by riding on a colt as he made his way through Jerusalem. Sound familiar? This is the king. This is the king, and you see it in the enthusiastic actions of the disciples as they take their coats and they lay it down as a way to say, we want to prepare the way for the king that is coming. And if you know your biblical history, 2 Kings chapter 9 and Jehu, as he's making his way into, the, into Jerusalem and he's being proclaimed king, guess what his subjects are doing? They're laying out the cloak. 
It's interesting. Luke doesn't mention the palms, probably because two reasons. One, his Gentile audience would have went, huh? But also because the focus is on, this is king. The, The cloaks fit what the Old Testament people did. So Luke is saying, here's your king. Luke says it by the crowd and the cry of the crowd. And you know, you know it. You, you, you've read it. You, you, you're aware of it as, you, as he's coming in. In verse 38, it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And, and the other gospels talk about Hosanna, Hosanna to the one who is coming. Well, Luke says, I'm writing to a Jewish, I mean, a Gentile audience. They don't know what the word Hosanna is, so he translates it. And that phrase about peace upon us, and he's trying to translate what the word Hosanna says, but it's a declaration right out of the Old Testament. As those in the Old Testament, as they would make their way into Jerusalem during the Passover, would begin to sing this Hallel Psalm, this Psalm 118, which was a declaration of the coming of the King in triumph. Every single one of the gospel writers make sure we know about this event. And Luke wants us to know, here comes the king. But the clearest declaration is a word that Luke puts into his translation of Psalm 118 to make sure that as a Gentile audience, we understand the significance. For you see, Psalm 118 originally just says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Jews would understand that's a royal message. The Gentiles might not. So Luke says, I want you to know this one is king. And so what does he do? He says it. Notice what it says, and none of you reacted as I was reading it. When I read verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. When I said king, each of us should have gone, huh. Because the word king isn't in the original. It's Luke's way of helping us to understand what is going on. The one who is coming is king. The Jews knew the one, he who is coming, meant that. But now he wants us to understand that. Beloved, the king is coming. The king has arrived. And Luke, as he presents this, asks us the question, so what are you going to do? Luke doesn't quote the passage, but the other gospel writers do. And Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 is, as particularly John is saying, you know what, we came to understand what was going on here. What was going on is the events of Zechariah chapter 9 When we rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes. Beloved, the king has come. It's not a matter of whether we make Jesus Lord of our lives. The reality is, he is Lord of our lives. That's exactly what Luke is saying. He's not saying to the people of that time, you know, will you accept him as Lord? No, he's saying he is Lord. 
Now what are you going to do? To everyone here this morning, Luke is saying He is Lord. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? What does that mean for your life? Now here's here's where we need to go back 2,000 years to understand just how much of rejection there is of Jesus. You see, we are called upon to properly recognize, to properly honor, to properly respond to the one who is Lord of our lives. You see, everyone will eventually do it. Philippians chapter 2 makes it very, very clear that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is simply, will I do it now and enjoy the positive response Or will I do it later when I will be made to recognize it? In order to understand this, we need to understand something that's called the parousia. Now, parousia is a theological term that is sometimes used for the coming of Christ. We talk about the parousia, the return of the Lord when he's going to come in his glory. And, And that's true. The word does mean that, and we use it that way. But originally, parousia was a response to a royal visitation. In a sense, you could call the parade last Thursday a parousia. It was a response to, yes, the royalty of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles. It was a response to their arrival. It was a response honoring what they did, and it had all its different aspects. And we expected that to take place. Well, they expected when the king came to be a parousia. There was going to be a parousia. There was going to be a welcoming. There was going to be an acknowledgement in certain ways in this city that this is the one who is our king. So there was this traditional welcome of any royal figure into an ancient Near Eastern city. When Pilate arrived, there would have been a parousia. When King Herod arrived in Jerusalem, there would have been a parousia. When, uh, you know, it wasn't a triumph in the sense of a Roman triumph in the victory and they did all of that. This was just the normal response to somebody who was to be honored as they came into the city. And there were certain elements to that parousia. There were certain things they did, like we would expect the Lombardi trophy, and we would expect the parade with the buses open, and we would expect the cheering crowds, and we would expect all of those things today. Back then, there were certain things they expected. They expected that the elites of the city would go out and they would meet the visitor. That the the city officials, the the religious leaders, the, the political leaders, the economic leaders, When the king was coming, they would go out and they would meet him on the way and begin to to celebrate his coming. Question, how many elite went out to celebrate Jesus' coming? None. A few of the Pharisees were there, but they didn't go out to greet him. 
They went out to condemn him. There would be an escorting of their guest into the city and not just the team, not just his disciples, but the entire city would come out and they would walk with him. Oh, some came out. But it was his disciples that were coming in. That's why Luke emphasizes that this wasn't a massive crowd. We tend to think that all of Jerusalem came out and was yelling, Hosanna. No, it was his disciples and a few others. In the parousia, the the citizens would greet their guests in their finery. They would wear the best of what they had. They would wear all of their bling. Who was there to greet Jesus that way? Did Pilate come out? Did the Sadducees come out? Did the high priest come out? The city leaders would heap praise upon their guests. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so great. He's so magnificent. Kind of like that, you know, whatever you called it at the steps of the art museum. You know, the best team ever, the greatest team ever. There's never a team like them forever. That kind of thing. Is that what happened for Jesus? Not at all. In fact, they came out and said, Jesus, will you shut up your disciples? There was not proclamation. There was condemnation. If you failed to do that in the ancient world, there was always serious consequences. Many times, cities were destroyed because of their slight to the king. That's why Luke, when he's presenting this, does that strange thing where he talks about the hosannas and the and the 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 rejoicing of the disciples and the laying of their cloaks. But then the very next passage is judgments coming. Why? Because the city that should have recognized their king instead thumbed their nose at him. You said a, a welcome the city cast dispersions, mocked him, told those who were rejoicing in his coming to be silent. Imagine that in this kind of situation there there would be a negative response. The, The magnitude of the greeting could indicate the gratitude of the city for past benefactions as well as lay the groundwork for favors the city might hope to receive from its guests in the future. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says to them. I came bringing peace. I came bringing gifts. But you would not accept me. And a failure to provide a customary welcome would have grave consequences. There's a great article about all of this by a man by the name of Kinman. Imagine that instead of this, 
on that Thursday as the team was making its way in, you saw this. Your response would be, what's wrong with that city? What's wrong with those people? Why don't they celebrate this this wonderful achievement? Why don't they celebrate this great event in in the sports life of the city? In fact, if you saw this, you'd be saying, oh man, is there going to be consequences? We'd lose our franchise. The owner would say, you don't support me. I'm out of this city. The NFL would have come and said, there's no audience here. Why are we putting money into this place? The result? That kind of rejection? would have been lost. And as you read Luke, that's exactly what happens. You see, Luke says that there are grievous struggles resulting from a failure to recognize Jesus as Lord. That's true of a nation called Israel who failed to recognize their Lord. It's true of churches. There are grievous results from that kind of rejection. That's true of families and marriages. And that's true of individual lives. When you and I fail, to recognize and honor the one who is Lord, the consequences are devastating. When we fail to recognize that Jesus is Lord in the, in the moralness of our lives, we choose to live in immorality in opposition to His Lordship, the consequences are devastating. When in our businesses we we fail to live out the Lordship of Christ in our lives, we may prosper financially, but watch what happens to your reputation. When we fail to allow the Lord to be Lord of our lives in our marriage, just the other day I was getting a haircut, and the the woman that was cutting my hair was a very unique individual, and I really enjoyed interacting with her. And at one point, she was talking to me, I forget what she asked me, and I said something about Cindy and I being married for 40 years. And she said, how'd you do that? And I said, you know, we were committed. First to the Lord. And then to each other. Now, our marriage isn't perfect. But how do you stay together? And she said something very wise. And she said, yeah, but it takes two to do that. I said, yeah, it does. We don't recognize the Lord in our marriages, in our families, in our businesses, in our education, in our our purchases, in 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 our leisure. There are consequences. You see it? There's a warning about rejecting God's authority. And Jesus is over and over again just telling them how important this is as he says to them, some of the Pharisees and the crowd said, teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. That's a good translation of that. 
Jesus says, you know what? This is so significant that if they didn't cry out, the rocks would. This is the day. This is the day that Jesus comes as Lord, that God comes, that the one who establishes the covenant with Israel comes and says, children, I bring you peace. And they said to heck with you. Jesus says you do that. There are consequences. He offered peace. But their rejection would bring destruction. Now, be careful. I'm not saying here that whenever we're not obedient to the Lord, He immediately goes, you know, and stomps on us. Boy, that sounded cool over the sound system. But He allows the consequences of our choices to work their way out. Now, there's always repentance. There's always coming back. There's always God's ability to use even our failures to accomplish great things in our lives and for His kingdom. That's what repentance is all about. But the more we continue to thumb our nose at the Lord who is Lord of our lives, the more we face the results of those choices. You see, the result, the devastation, is God's willingness to honor our choices. We have free will. We can say, God, no, I want to live it my way. And do you know what the Lord will do? Just like the father of the prodigal son, child, if that's your choice. We read a book not too long ago about God's judgment and said something profound in there. It's made me think a little bit over the last several weeks. But it talked about sometimes God's judgment is direct. Where it's actually his hand doing it. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Who lied to the Lord and, and they immediately died. Or think about Korah's rebellion in the Old Testament. Where God stepped in and did something. But you know what? Most of the time, the consequences are just the result of our choices. And God said, I'll let it work out. I won't intervene. And what's so interesting is when the people of the first century heard about the devastation of Jerusalem, they would have said it's because they rejected Caesar. Luke says, no, you have the wrong Lord. This is the result of their choice to reject their divine Lord. God left the consequences. The opposite would have taken place. They would have known peace. They would have known joy. They would have known celebration. But now, they will know only devastation. Several years ago, in fact, it was after 9-11, Anne Graham Lotz was on a TV show and someone asked her, where is God in the midst of this? And this has been misrepresented in all the rest. But when you read what she really said, I think it really clarifies what Luke is talking about. In answer to that question, she says, I say God is also angry when he sees something like this, meaning the loss of innocent life, the 
the falling down of the towers, the, the evil involved in that. Then she went on to say, I would say also for several years now, Americans in a sense have, stretched, have shaken their fist at God and said, God, we want you out of our schools, our government, our business. We want you out of our marketplace. And God who is a gentleman, I would have used a little different phrase, God who honors our will has just quietly backed out of our national and political life, our public life. Removing his hand of blessing and protection, we need to turn to God first of all and say, God, we are sorry we have treated you this way and we invite you now to come into our national life, our personal life, our family life, our business life. We put our trust in you. We have our trust in God is on our coins. We need to practice it. Now, I don't want to get into the political debate here. Some of you would love to go down that path. No. Let's stop looking out there and look in here. And look in here. Do we live out Jesus as the Lord of our lives? What is so interesting is that Jesus' response is not like that of an ancient king. Do you know how an ancient king would have responded to that city? He would have said, wait till you see what I'm going to do. There would have been revenge, rage. You're going to pay for this. That's not our Jesus. When Jesus realized the consequences of what they were choosing, the Scripture said that Jesus wept. And this isn't just a a little tear. This was deep mourning. This was seeing Jesus cry out in despair knowing what the choices would lead to. Beloved, the question in Scripture is not whether or not Jesus is Lord. That's clear. The question is, how do you respond to that? Do you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Do you seek His direction first in the decisions that you make? Do you seek His honor in the life that you live first? Do you seek to respond in relationships and at work and in education in a way that pleases Him first? Do you daily celebrate with abundance the one who is our Lord, and celebrate it? Or do you ignore him? Have you come to the point in your life where you've acknowledged him as your Savior and his Lord? Or is that a decision that still awaits? I mentioned the nails, and we'll just take a few moments to talk about it. In the back, 
there are some of these in baskets. These are called cut nails. Those of you who are in the, in the trades know about them. They're, they're flat. They don't have a big point on them, so they're not going to stick you. But every time I see these, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the sacrifice of my Lord and the journey he went on in order that he might be my king. And so several years ago I had an idea, and, and I've been meaning to do it. In fact, I had Matt last week and forgot about it. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have these nails? And keep it in your pocket. Put it by the side of your sink. Uh, stick it in your wallet. Put it in your purse. Put it on your desk at work. Or somewhere that you're going to see it. And every time you see it, to remind it of what the Lord did in order to be our king. And then ask the very simple question. Lord, how can I honor you today in this event, in this hour, in this relationship? How can I honor you as my king? They're in the back if you'd like one. And maybe it'll be a reminder of the incredible reality that the God of the universe seeks to have a relationship with us, to lead and guide us as our sovereign, benevolent, loving, kind King. Father, thank you for a passage that reminds us, a book that reminds us that you are our King. Father, may we live that out in our day-by-day life. May we live it out in the ways we treat one another and talk about it to each other. Father, may we live it out in the recreation that we're involved in. May we live it out in the, the ways we serve at, at work or in our families. Father, in all of our lives, may we be exuberant about the fact that you are our King. Father, it begins with a relationship with your Son through putting faith and trust in that journey that he took, his death and his resurrection. Father, accepting that is our forgiveness of sins. And we invite any who are not certain of their relationship with you to talk to somebody about that. Father, for those of us who are certain, may we recognize you as Lord of our lives for your honor and glory. And we ask it in the name of your Son. Amen.